This is E Boogie, the artist formerly known as Eric. You're now listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. What is up, guys? Coming at you from right outside Philadelphia. It's AC. And with me out of DC, my main man, Eric Fullwood. Yes, sir. Thank you for tuning in, guys, for another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. As we approach New Year's Eve, we thought it'd be a little bit fun if we ask a bunch of questions and figure out what will happen in 2021. Now, Oswe likes to call himself Oswe Dramas. He does, he does. And we totally thought that he would be on this pod, but he decided to be a chicken and not show up for the prediction pod so that, of course, he can preserve his Oswe Dramas status. So, Eric, this is an opportunity for us to get the future seer title and steal it from Oswe for good. To take the proverbial mantle right under his fingertips. I'm ready. The Oracle from DC is here, Eric Fullwood himself. So I'm hyped. So Eric, you have put together eight questions for us for the new year. Some of them were fun. Some of them a little more serious basketball stuff. But Eric, what's the first question you have for us for the upcoming season? And just to be clear to all our listeners out there, I have not seen these questions at all. I have no idea what's coming. So what do you got, Eric? So this is the thing. This has been an interesting season, but I think there's been some underlying theme of this whole season that's just waiting to be answered. And that theme, that underlying question, AC, is what the hell is Daryl Morey going to do in regards to Ben Simmons? Is he going to keep him? Is he going to trade him? If they trade him, who are they going to trade him to? Who are they going to get back for him? I mean, I feel like this is the million dollar question, right? If you had told me in the summertime, especially as all this stuff was unfolding and it looked like Ben Simmons was not going to be part of this roster, especially as he came to practice and then that whole fiasco happened where they they told him to go home and then everything played out that way. I would have been stunned that, you know, by this point of the calendar year, he was still on the Sixers roster. It does seem like Daryl Morey has taken the long run view of this and is basically holding on to him and has said at least publicly that he's willing to wait until next season. But Eric, I'm a poker player. I know you love gambling. You're taking your turn at the casino. Am I wrong? True story. I'm a degenerate. Exactly. So as, as degenerates, we both know what it's like to look someone in the eye and call that bluff. I'm saying it right here. Daryl Morey is bluffing that he will hold on to Ben Simmons until the summer. Oh, yeah, no doubt. I I don't believe for one second as we get closer and closer to the playoffs, or particularly the trade deadline, he's going to like leverage Ben Simmons for something. Now, I don't know what he can possibly leverage him for at the moment, considering there were some decent trade packages that we've spoken about in previous pause that were immediately being offered for Ben Simmons during the summer after his debacle against the Atlantic Hawks. But I mean, this is a team that's still like nominally a contender. 
at some point they're going to want to turn Ben Simmons into something that they can compete with. And they have a player in Joel Embiid who's in his prime years. You can't afford to just completely throw away this year. So, yeah, I'm, I'm calling his bluff as well, AC. I definitely think they're going to come up off of him and, and get someone for him. I'm not sure who, though. Yeah, it would be crazy to me that Daryl Morey could look at a team that's being carried by Joel like this and come to that team and it's like, you know what? We have this asset out there. We're just not going to use it because we care more about our future than this season. Those guys out there are looking at it like, hey, they've had a, a bit of a rough season. They have not had perfect injury luck. And yet they're right in the mix of the East right now. But clearly they lack the top level talent to make a serious run in a conference that includes a Milwaukee team that looks like they're ready to make a repeat run, a Brooklyn team that now has Kyrie Irving, at least for road games, and a Miami team that has completely retooled this offseason, not to mention teams like Chicago and Cleveland that have become competitive out of nowhere. I don't think they can just afford to just sit back and do nothing. So you pose the question, Eric, who are they going to trade him for? And the new rumors out and about are heavily implied. Now, this is the second time in as many weeks that Woj, who I think is pretty credible when it comes to these things, is saying that there's some traction potentially between Cleveland and the Sixers. Though that begs the question, if you're the Cleveland Cavaliers having this dream season, do you really want to move for Ben Simmons? So those in the no AC were hinting about the Cavs front office potentially making a move for Ben Simmons back during the summer. Like at the time they were saying, hey, maybe it would be possible to give Colin Sexton and, and a couple of, you know, pieces here and there for a young up and coming building team that has their point guard of the future. Just drafted Evan Mobley, who's been fantastic. You know, they have a couple of pieces. They thought it would be great to have Ben Simmons be, which I still think is kind of crazy, the leader of a fledgling developing team. I've been hearing it get even louder, but like you said, I, I'm I'm a little like iffy on potentially trading for Ben Simmons because this Cavs team without someone like Ben Simmons who could potentially be a distraction, they've been fantastic and playing well above expectations. So, I mean, I would probably take Ben just because Ben – He's such a phenomenal, phenomenal defender and passer that with a team like this, if you could put him next to Jared Allen and Evan Mobley and Darius Garland, you like could have something special in upcoming years. But I'm not sure what they would give up to get him. And I'm somewhat worried about what Ben Simmons, who has been a bit of a miasma of bad will this season, what he will bring to an up-and-coming team that's having a Cinderella season. So then in that case, Eric, here's your chance to become Eric Drama. So take that title from Asui forever. Where does his guy, Ben Simmons, get traded? He he gets Final traded answer. To the, he gets traded to the Trailblazers for CJ McCollum. Asui <laughs> will cry if he hears that. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna keep saying it. <laughs> CJ McCollum is the pick 
for Ben Simmons. <laughs> and it's what's going to happen. And Osme's going to be so morose about it. But I can see it in my tea leaves. It's on the horizon. I'm going to go in a different direction. I will say that Ben Simmons goes to the one California team that he did not want to go to, Eric. He will wind up with the cowbells ringing in his ears out in Sacramento. Probably, I mean, I guess the Sixers would love to have Halliburton back. Maybe they can get him. I I see it being much more realistic that we're going to wind up with some kind of a De'Aaron Fox trade because the Sacramento Kings have a mandate to make the playoffs. They're once again failing that mandate. I think they feel pressure from their owner to do something. And it's not easy for that team to get an all-star caliber player. So it makes sense for a lot of reasons. So two things. That would be poetic justice to have Ben Simmons, who didn't mention the Kings when he mentioned every other team who plays in California. The Clippers, the Lakers, the Warriors. He's just a who's who he would like to go to. (laughs) He doesn't name the Kings. The basketball gods would like actually be winning if they made that happen. Number two, though, AC, I mean, wouldn't a a package for CJ McCollum be infinitely better than a package centering De'Aaron Fox right now for Joel? Like with Joel Embiid being the player that he is, wouldn't you want someone who spaces the floor instead of just a guy who's a slasher who hasn't shown any actual shot? I definitely agree from a basketball pit perspective, but I wonder if one Sacramento has more sort of side pieces they could throw in a, in a trade, but two, if Maury is going star hunting primarily, there's something to be said about De'Aaron Fox's ceiling as a player being a lot higher than CJ McCollum. CJ McCollum is who he is. And we all know that. I especially think that CJ McCollum is a bad fit defensively, on a team that already employs two other small guards in Tyrese Maxey and Seth Curry. So, yeah, you're right. Offensively, it makes more sense. But I, maybe they'll go for the talent of, of Sacramento is what I'm thinking. And also, it just seems like they have this position, like, we do not want CJ McCollum. Otherwise, they could have had him a long time ago, right? So I'd be surprised for that to change. But we'll see. So, Eric, what's the next big question that you have for 2021? So, next big question I have is for a dysfunctional team that's very dear to my heart or more like a dysfunctional team with a player that's very dear to my heart. I wanted to know which Laker or Lakers gets their eviction notices. Oh, (laughs) I like the eviction. (laughs) A little little play on words there. Uh, And honestly, which poor soul replaces them on bronze perpetual chopping block? Yeah, so this is sort of building off you know, two concepts that are just universal truths. The first is that if you put L-E in front of anything, it just becomes infinitely more entertaining, right? Whether it's Le- <laughs> literally Le- anything, Le- just try it. LeBrick, Le- LeBron. All right, Skip Bayless. All right, Skip Bayless. <laughs> but like, yeah, like Leviction Le- is perfect. So, you know, props to you on that. And the second is the idea that, you know, Rob Polinka exists in his title and, and I'm sure he has some sway but that LeBron is sort of the pseudo or if I say shadow GM of the team now there's varying evidence to how true that is or not true we know for instance that Rob Polinka had a deadline deal ready for Buddy Heald that was so close 
that was so close to happening that Sacramento is apparently still mad that it didn't. And then, you know, LeBron and maybe Anthony Davis, it's unclear exactly how much AD waited on this, said, no, we want Westbrook. And exactly the timeline of that happening, I'm not really sure. There hasn't been enough reporting on it. But it's clear that LeBron wanted his guy and he got his guy. And to do that, it, they traded away, frankly, an entire team, especially if you also include Caruso, who was kind of like collateral damage from this. So now they have a team that clearly has issues. I- I'm a little bit higher on them than maybe I should be. I think there's a lot that has gone wrong for them in this first basically half of the season, from untimely injuries to a wave of COVID hitting literally every guard on the roster at the same point uh, to just you know, some bad luck and just a complete lack of continuity altogether. But they do need to make some sort of a change. And I'm sure LeBron and Palinka, whoever's really pulling the strings here, can completely see that. So my answer to the guy that's going to get his eviction notice, and I'm not going to count guys like DeAndre Jordan. I don't know if you've noticed, Eric. He's basically already gotten his eviction notice. He's completely out of the rotation. Yeah, he doesn't even play bothering anymore. to play him. And nor should he have. I, I would argue they wasted the first, you know, third of the season when they still had Anthony Davis on the roster, just wasting his minutes by also playing DeAndre Jordan. The team has realized now that DeAndre Jordan is unplayable. The same thing the Nets realized, you know, last year. AC. So, yeah. AC, you and I did a game earlier in the season yep. where where we would name random, like, G League level centers, like Dexter Pittman, yeah. <laughs> who hasn't played in NBA in, like, nine years. And, like, comparing them to DeAndre Jordan and who would be a better fit for the Lakers. I think that you said this earlier this season, and I have increasingly come to agree with your position. I think DeAndre Jordan is the worst player in the NBA. I really mean that. I I really can't imagine that there aren't G League players out there that can at least do the basic role of a big man better than he can. I mean, at this point, power forwards and small forwards out of the G League, like Stanley Johnson right now, is in two games, is doing a better job of doing big man things than the seven-plus-foot DeAndre Jordan. So... That just shows how bad he's been. The easy answer would be to say somebody like that. But I'm going to take your question and make it a little bit more tricky and say, what rotation player will get his eviction notice first? And I think the answer is just going to be THT. And this is a risky move for the Lakers for a number of reasons, in part because he's their one young asset. And, you know, he is a guy who projects to have a decently high ceiling because he has one truly elite skill And that's slashing to the rim. And if you can do that, you're always valuable in the NBA. The problem is he's doing it on a roster that needs that less than any other thing. And the things they actually need him to do, whether it's off-ball defense, whether it's being able to be a credible shooter, he can't do those things well. So he's just on the wrong team. And I just don't think that LeBron James has patience now to wait for, nor should he, for THT to develop into the player he's going to be, if he even can get there on this squad in, say, three, four years, he's trying to win right now. He's too good. So I'd say they get rid of him for something. I don't think they'll actually get good value back from that trade, but that's my take on it. So you and I agree, and they had their opportunity to get good value back for a THT. Last year, they could have traded him for Cal Lowry, and they held on to him for whatever reason. Shit, this summer, the Lakers, who didn't want to go, you know, past a certain point with the luxury tax, 
they decided they wanted to keep THT and not keep Caruso when I would have much rather had them keep Caruso and let THT go. But, you know, that's a conversation for another time. But about this man selling AC, so we both think he's awesomely going to be the option that, that goes. And it's going to look bad because they re-up with him, gave him this new contract based on, you know, his purported ceiling. And it's just going to look like they let a lot of guys slip through their grasp for him, but it is what it is. But THT is a guy with a high ceiling AC that he, you know, he, he, he has the measurables of an elite slasher at some point, except he, he can't actually finish around the room particularly great, which makes me think, and I've been calling him this for a second now, he's like a hobo Tyreek Evans. A Tyreek <laughs> Evans that was drafted fairly high in the top five or six. Um, Rookie of the year, Tyreek Evans, by the way. Drafted the same year Stephen Wardell Curry was drafted. Yep. This, <laughs> this guy who was a master layup artist because AC, you always used to point out how elite he was laying the ball up from different angles, both hands. He just, he had a knack for finishing. How, how did Tyreek Evans career turn out? And we're not even going to add the cocaine stuff because that's, that's secondary. (laughs) Yeah. Let's not go there. (laughs) (laughs) No, don't need to go there. But like the, he, he could slash, he could lay up, but that's all he could do. And he was better at it than THT. And his career didn't go very far. I just don't see THT reaching any like high level. So I'm I'm really down on what he can be. So I think they will try to trade him. I don't even think they're going to be able to get much for him at this point. I definitely agree, Eric, because slashers like Tyreek Evans, if you don't add anything else to your game, you know, team scout, they understand that's what you're trying to do every possession. And yeah, THT is elite at getting to the rim, but he still mostly drives right. And he certainly finishes right. Like he has this kind of backward layup that Oswee calls the what to do layup. It's actually a shot that Oswee himself takes a lot. Uh, so it's like a right-handed back layup where you kind of flip the ball backward, but you kind of spin your hand as you're doing it to get the English to, to do it with your right hand when you should conventionally be shooting with your left hand. And that looks really cool, except you realize eventually that that's partly because he doesn't feel comfortable finishing with his left hand, and that's kind of a problem. I, I kind of agree with you in general, Eric, that I'm not sure how high his ceiling truly is, but he, he definitely isn't going to find on the Lakers. And one other important thing to note about THT, January 15th is the earliest the Lakers can trade him because of, of the rules corresponding to the fact that he signed an extension this summer. So keep an eye out after January 15th. I do think his name will be in trade rumors. And I also agree with you, Eric, that I'm not sure what the market is for him. I wouldn't be surprised the Lakers have to throw in an asset. Maybe, for instance, their 2027, I believe, first round pick. Their next first round pick, which is either it's either 26 or 27, that they're able to trade a, another pick. Which is actually going to be a very worthwhile pick, by the way. Because I would argue that's a better pick to get than, say, two first round picks from a normal team. Because the Lakers, that'll be almost certainly post-LeBron. They could be a really bad team at that point. So... They're barely five of your team right now with LeBron. So it could be very valuable, but that's what it's going to take to use THD salary to get a better player. Like I know, Eric, you mentioned in a previous pod, someone like a Jeremy Grant. It'll take them giving another asset besides THD. THD alone is just not going to be enough. You got my hopes 
so up high, AC. You mentioned Cam Reddish, and I was just like, Cam Reddish, he's, I mean, he's doing okay, but... I did on a previous pod. AC dramas, baby. I said, yo, Cam Reddish, you'd be kind of nice. Excuse me. You jinxed Cam Reddish in that potential trade because ever since you mentioned that AC, he's been playing like a borderline all-star. I agree. And you know who's been playing like utter (laughs) shit since I made the THT for Cam Reddish prediction? Talon. Yeah, Talon. He's been playing like one of the worst players in the league. So, you know, it's like, I, I don't, I think the, the Hawks would never trade that as a straight up trade without an asset being thrown now. Oh, absolutely not. So, if you're going to get someone like Cam, who I think two, three weeks ago, consensus logic was that THT had more upside than this guy who's only a year older than him, I think you're going to have to sweeten the pot. So, I don't know. You mentioned the other day Reggie Bullock, and you mentioned uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. At this point, someone like that might be about all the Lakers can actually get for THT, and that's really, really depressing. All right, Eric, what's your third question? So we've hit some Lakers, we've hit some Sixers. What do you got next? So we've seen some teams underperform AC thus far, which leads me to my question. Which coach do you think will be the first coach led to the gallows in the new year? You know, it's it's a really difficult question to answer, in part because the obvious guy already lost his job, and that's Luke Walton. If you look at the teams that are sort of towards the bottom of the league, almost all of them have new coaches or relatively young coaches, or they're just tanking teams in the first place where I'm not sure they have the roster talent or even really the organizational desire to go after wins on a consistent basis. So I'm not really sure who would be. I would probably look more towards sort of the middle of the NBA standings for teams that are potentially supposed to do well, but are kind of underachieving. Anyone come to your mind while I think about this a little bit more? (laughs) Yeah, so I'm going to go out on a limb here and, and make like what's kind of a hot take, but I don't think it's that much of a hot take because... I know how LeBron-run organizations are. Oh, boy. If you're going to say this, I need you to ask for us for hot take alert. Us we give us a hot take alert. Hot take alert. Hot take alert. I think it's going to be Frank Vogel. I honestly, wow. I honestly, AC, don't see any discernible manner in which the Lakers, like, improve in a dramatic fashion and for a LeBron led team that team has to be in the upper echelon of teams competing for a championship and I just don't see it right now I don't see the one piece they have swinging it for them for them to be a demonstrably better team in the second half and I just think Frank is going to be the fall guy even though it's unfair he's actually legitimately one of the brilliant coaches in in the league and a defensive genius but they gave him an incredibly shitty roster to maximize his coaching strength. So I think it's going to be Frank. I think that'd be a a tremendous mistake by the Lakers organization. First and foremost, as you said, I think Frank is a brilliant defensive coach. You know, after starting the season in a rocky fashion, this Lakers team was somehow in the top 10 defensively and basically if you take DeAndre Jordan out of it, they were like in the top four defensively. And then of course AD gets hurt and their entire rotation basically gets COVID at the same time. So 
I think that there's still room for him to implement what he can do. And I actually think this season, he showed a level of flexibility that I never thought I'd see from a Frank Vogel team. He started this season probably a little bit too conservatively, trying to play a conventional big, using some of the schemes they used in the past, you know, playing DeAndre Jordan, playing Dwight Howard. He's gone away from all of that. He's realized that if you have Russell Westbrook, there's only one way you can play. You have to maximize the spacing around him. And he's done that. And I think there's a lot of scheme things they're doing better and better. They're using uh, Westbrook and LeBron as screeners more. They're setting a lot of off-ball action. It would be really unfortunate for him to lose his job with such a subpar roster, especially, as you said, Eric, a roster that doesn't suit his strengths. And the other thing to consider with, with Frank Vogel is, I just don't think that David Fisdale would be even a remotely good replacement. His track record coaching by Knicks was pretty bad. It wasn't particularly impressive in Memphis either. So it's not like you have an obvious improvement in-house you know, with, with David Fisdale. So I think it would be a terrible mistake. And, and for the sake of the Lakers, I hope they don't do that. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't think there's a Tyron Lue-David Blatt situation where Tyron Lue was the obvious heir apparent. And David Blatt, for all of his wins, <laughs> routinely seemed as if he was out of his depth. Frank never seems like that. So this would be an obvious downgrade if you were to change from Vogel to Fitz. For me to actually think they will keep Frank, I would have to think that the Lakers are going to dramatically improve. And I I just don't see it, man. If I had to predict, Eric, I would say that actually I don't think a single coach is going to be fired the rest of the season. The next coach that's going to be fired will probably be in the offseason. And it's because I'm just looking like one by one each of these teams, right? So you have Portland as a brand new coach. The Pelicans have a brand new coach this year. That you know, the Kings already fired their coach. Uh, the Pistons, the Magic, like, I mean, these are like tanking teams. I don't know how you could possibly grade them down. Indiana has underachieved, but Rick Carlisle is a new coach there. Toronto, there's no way they're going to fire Nick Nurse. Atlanta had a great run last year. It's not going to happen. I'm just going like one by one. No one's firing Pop. You know, like, it's just, I actually think that for once, we may not actually have the usual coaching firing squad that happens around this time of the year so at least i I would say the rest is where i think it's going to play out that we're not going to see any more firings which then eric brings us to whatever your next question is so what you got so ac which teams do you see separating themselves from the pack from the middle of the west in the upcoming year so i feel like we've talked a bit about the lakers and I don't want to make this all Lakers, but I feel like my answer to that question in part is the Lakers because they still have barely had any kind of continuity together. Uh, I think they had the most starting lineups of anyone in the NBA. Their most played lineups have played the least amount of time together, like by a mile. So they just haven't had continuity. They've figured out ways to excise the most useless players out of their rotation. Increasingly, I think we're going to see those players replaced by better players I think Trevor Reeves and Austin Reeves, once they're healthy and actually playing a role, are going to make a huge impact. Let's not forget that Kendrick Nunn has not played one game this season. Anthony Davis will eventually come back. And believe it or not, they're not even all that far away as as we sit here today. They are half a game away from the fifth seed. So they can easily make a run for it. And I think they probably will be able to do that, especially because LeBron's playing out of his mind right now. So I would still say the Lakers have a second half run in them, even though the remaining schedule is difficult. Who you got, Eric? The Clippers. <laughs> really? 
The Clippers. <laughs> I've been on. I don't know if you remember AC. I've been on some weird Paul George like bandwagon of sorts this year. Even though I generally just shit on the guy all the time. But now, Paul George, correct me if I'm wrong, Eric, he's out for at least he, the next few weeks. And we he don't is have Kawhi. He, he so you're is factoring that in and you're still saying I, you believe in I, 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 I am I'm factoring that in as we speak. They are the fifth seed in, in the West. Yep. I expect them to go anywhere right now from somewhere from the sixth to the seventh seed. They're going to drop a little bit in the upcoming weeks. But I think Ty Lue is such a great coach. He's he's an excellent coach. And I think Paul George, when he comes back, he's shown me enough this year that he's at least big time in the regular season to get this team in contending status in the West, I'm not saying actually contending for the championship. And then later on, what well, we're going to get Kawhi back at the end of the season. I, I think I can see if we get Paul George back in a couple of weeks, I can definitely see with a Lakers who I, I don't think are going to be contending in the next half because I'm really down on them. I can see somewhere where the Clippers are the third or fourth seed. I think top three is out of reach. I, the top three to me is like so far better than anyone else in the conference right now that it, yeah, it's hard I, for you're, me to you're, imagine you're, that. You're, you're, you're right, AC. I, I said third, and, and that's Utah, and Utah is like 24-9. So, no, not third, but I could definitely see fourth, which to me, I'm not too high on the Grizzlies who are in the fourth seed. Like, I, I think they're still a young team. I, I think they're a good team. They're a scrappy young team. They yep. have very good defense, but – I, I just don't trust it. And I think for the Clippers, that would set themselves up for very, very good position when Kawhi actually comes back to be one of the last standing in the West. You know, it's been a kind of a miracle that they've even had the record they've had so far with Kawhi out, with some of the other injuries they've had. A testament to Ty Lu proving once again that he's one of the elite coaches in the NBA. Certainly one of the best offensive coaches that there are. And in my opinion, maybe... Right up there with Nick Nurse as in terms of like the best out of timeout play callers that there are in the league. So much respect to him. It's just hard for you to imagine they're not going to take a significant step back over this period in which George is out. And I agree that they could probably rally when he comes back. But that assumes that he's the same player, that he hasn't lost his rhythm. And aside from all that. I'm not convinced that Kawhi Leonard is going to come back this season, or at least not early enough that it's going to make an impact on the regular season standing. So to me, out of all the teams in this mix, I think they have the lowest ceiling in terms of where they'll be as a, in, the, in terms of record, but I, they obviously have the highest ceiling in terms of playoff potential if they get Kawhi and, and Paul George back fully healthy. But I would predict them to be like, wind up in the ninth or 10th seed when it's all said and done. I'm bullish on the Clippers. The Clippers are going to they're going to be a team to reckon with. By the way, I think it was kind of funny that you referred to them as we. This is like a new level of sports cheating. Like <laughs> you're cheating on on the Lakers with the Clippers and calling them we as in like you're one of the the Clippers. You only do that when it's your team, man. Come on. I have many teams. <laughs> the, the Bulls, 
the Wizards when they were doing decent at the beginning of the season? Not anymore when they're in eighth place now. He's oh, no, I mean, I, I, I don't even know the guys on that team anymore. But you're, <laughs> I don't know who they Washington. are. That's, that's, you know, you could at least make that argument. Nah, I mean, yeah, I, I guess, but I'm a, I'm a sports polygamist, so <laughs> I have many I mean, wives. I mean, let's be real. Being a sports polygamist is better than being a fan of this, a team that's let you down for, you know, my entire life, like the New York Knicks. Yeah, so. yeah you, you could be you, just good old monogamous AC with your wife for the last 33 years and then you have me the the fun like cool just like stress-free polygamist who goes wherever the fair wind takes them that's fair i mean i i can't i have nothing to criticize you about it for except for the fact that it's the coward's way out man it's the coward's way out i never said i was brave <laughs> <laughs> like i mean ac we like game of thrones you fight with no honor. And what does Braun look at the, the lady and he, say? He kicks him in a well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he fought with honor, though. Yeah. <laughs> I You're mean, right. you know. You're right. <laughs> okay, so we got that out the way. About some award predictions. Ooh. AC, who do you have winning Rookie of the Year? Wow. Uh, you know, coming into the season, I made the prediction I thought it would be maybe Jalen Green or or at least that he would eventually have the best career. And that may still be the case. Uh, to me, it's a two-man race between Scotty Barnes and Evan Mobley. And I would love to have a, a full discussion about this with Anushan, who, you know, is a resident Raptors fan and has watched Barnes closer than just about anybody. But I think that it's really increasingly got to be Evan Mobley's race to lose. I, I just feel like when I watch him sometimes, he reminds me of, a young Kevin Garnett with this positional versatility. And it's not just defensively, which, I mean, he's an incredible defender. I mean, this guy, he can protect the rim. He can switch out onto people. He already understands how to play NBA-level defense, which for the big man is like the hardest thing to adjust to because they're involved in so many pick and rolls. He's fine with that. But offensively, he still has enough versatility in, the, in his game that you can play him with a conventional center like a Jared Allen, and he can make it work. Or you could play him with like someone like a Kevin Love, like a stretch four, and then he plays more of the center role and he makes that work. So he's been phenomenal. And I, I think he's both the best rookie right now. And I think he'll have the best career too. I mean, they, I think they have a legitimate blue chip superstar, multiple, maybe even an MVP one day kind of player in Evan Mobley. Coming into this draft, he was the guy with the highest ceiling. Considering his competition out at USC and and I think it's the Pac-12 now. I was a little iffy on the competition that he faced to give me a clear picture of how he would respond to NBA-level competition in his first few years. But the ceiling is evident. And it's obvious that, like you said, AC, he's a true blue chipper out of this most recent draft class. So I, I think it's going to be Evan Mobley. He's doing statistically very well. And even if you don't like, I guess, the quantitative like analysis of his game, the eye test, just looking at him play, is obvious whenever he's on the court, he's one of the best players on the court. So yeah, I, I definitely think rookie of the year is is his to lose. And not to add... 
he's added so much to a team that we did not expect to be very good. And they're one of the leading teams in the East and Eastern conference. That's actually fairly tough. If you think about it, Eric, it's pretty damn rare for a rookie to come in to a bottom feeding team, right? Like the Cavs got Evan Mobley because they were bad. Like they, like ultimately their record last year, though they had some promising signs of development, especially with Darius Garland. They weren't good last year. It's very difficult for a young guy to come in and be the biggest difference between that team being a, you know, sort of in the dumps versus an actual top six playoff team. Right now they're sitting in fifth place as we record this pod today. That's incredible. And that's why I'm saying like you could count on like, you know, probably two hands the amount of actual players who have done that right off the bat. So it's pretty awesome for the Cleveland Cavaliers to now have sort of a cornerstone piece a franchise, by the way, that basically hasn't made the playoffs without LeBron James since LeBron came with the NBA. And if you go from before LeBron, it, it's been since 1993 that they made the playoffs. So it, it, they've had this long drought, and now they found a blue chip guy. Shit, he's so blue chip, AC, that Kevin Love, who was doing everything in his power the last two seasons for the Cavs to just throw him away for any old piece they could get, he's seemingly happy to be there not only happy to be there eric he's happy to be a bench player there like he's playing his role he's actually having a quietly really good season i think playing with rubio has helped him too in those in those bench minutes but he's had a great season and all of a sudden kevin love now especially next year when he's an expiring contract goes from like a deadweight guy you want to get away to someone who actually has some value to basketball teams around the nba and in the short term has value to cleveland in part because Evan Mobley covers for his defensive lapses so well. So it's just, it's just a testament to how a great player, a truly great player, can be that rising tide that kind of lifts all the ships at the same time. Yeah, no doubt. So we spoke about Rookie of the Year, AC. Who we got for MVP? Wow. So that, that's a, a trickier question to me. As I see it, there's a four-man race, and they're sort of two heavy favors the media has covered. Pretty extensively. That's Steph Curry and that's KD. And then there's a guy who's having maybe the best statistical season, arguably ever, but certainly up there with anybody, and that's Nikola Jokic. Someone who, Eric, you've advocated for multiple times on this podcast, in our text threads, in our phone calls, at all all points this season. You've been his biggest advocate. The fourth guy that's worth mentioning with them, though, is Giannis, who's also having like a ridiculous statistical season. And one of the most incredible defensive seasons, he's actually protecting the rim right now at a rate comparable to Rudy Gobert, but is switching, you know, more than ever. He's playing their de facto five with Brooke Lopez out. So I actually predict that ultimately at the end of the day, it's going to be Giannis who wins his MVP. And and, and this is my logic for it. Kevin Durant is going to have votes taken away from him by just how good, you know, James Harden is going to be. He's already proving that, you know, he's starting to regain his form a little bit. He's had a couple of back-to-back big games. They have Kyrie Irving coming back. Those guys, even if they're maybe, you know, not as good as overall team uh, fit as maybe the Milwaukee Bucks, they still have the reputation of being stars. Giannis, he has Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. Great, great players, but not superstars, right? So I think Kevin Durant is hurt in that way. And, and, and the Bucks are not that far behind the Nets in terms of record either. Then you talk about your guy, Nikola Jokic. Now, there's a world in which Jamal Murray comes back 
he's expected to come back soon and they kind of elevate from this 500 team to sort of the dominant team they were in the second half of the year last year if that happens then this is Jokic's award to lose but is that actually going to happen I don't know I mean we don't even know what Jamal Murray is going to look like when he comes back so I think that's a lot to ask that they're going to win enough to really climb the standings in a western conference with multiple teams who don't even have 10 losses yet so I would say unlikely for Jokic and that leaves then your guy Eric Steph Wardell Curry who is <laughs> my guy <laughs> really <laughs> <laughs> the guy that Eric loves to root against you know the guy who's been opposed to his guy LeBron over the years I think we all respect him his game he has the narrative going for him it's the rise of the Warriors again they have the best record in the NBA he's playing phenomenal there are some signs of the last month of his efficiency dipping a little bit. And I think, you know, they're starting to have that COVID wave hit their team a little bit. They may dip in the standings here and there. Then they had to reincorporate Clay Thompson, who, you know, we don't know what he's going to look like and how that's going to maybe throw off the team dynamics. I, I would still say, like, if I was to bet on anybody, I'd bet on Steph. But I just have a feeling that Giannis is going to keep this Bucks team afloat. They're going to climb a little bit. And his overall numbers are just going to be the best, especially when you factor in his two-way play. What do you think, Eric? So, I think you make excellent points. Of course, you know, if I were a voter, just going on what he's done when he's on the court, I would go with Nikolai. He just has random stat lines. Like the other night, you sent me a stat line, AC, where it was 26, 22, and 8. No one's doing that shit. It's absurd. Like, nobody else is doing anything like that. Like, it's... It's not like, like it's, oh, everyone in the NBA is putting up these numbers. It's an, a year where offense across the league is down, and this one guy is, like, breaking offensive records. It doesn't even make yeah. sense. Yeah, he, he's turned into some weird, like, amalgamation statistically of Wilt Chamberlain and Bill Walton. Like, yep. which doesn't, which, which doesn't, doesn't make even sense. make Not at all. So I would vote for him. I, I think you have a point with Giannis. I, I do think Giannis is going to keep the Bucks afloat. I do worry if Giannis' stat line is so normal at this point for him that outside of him having a Nikolai-esque season with his team, like running away with the East, are we going to give the guy who already has two MVPs another MVP? Definitely in a season where all of the narrative, and I mean all of it, has been about how great Steph Curry has been in his record-breaking three-point season. And this wouldn't exactly be the first time Steph has won an MVP where other guys were statistically quite better than him. You just pointed out that he's dropping in in efficiency in the last month, but the narrative around him is that he's still one of the top two MVP contenders. So I'm I'm guessing it's going to be Steph because there's a groundwork for Steph, or a foundation rather, for Steph winning the MVP while not being the most statistically excellent person. Because with Steph being a point guard who also just has this narrative of, and not just narrative, narrative but actually his effect as far as gravitationally on his team and how well the Warriors do when stuff is being stuff. I just see ultimately him walking away with the award because I don't think COVID is going to knock them down in the standings in a Western conference that the teams 
aren't going to be competing with them record-wise other than the Suns. So I, I think it's going to be stuff. I, I think that's a fair way to look at it. And again, I said, like, if I had to put money on it, that's the way I would go as well. I think he has the narrative. He's had the statistical case. He has the most wins right now. And you're probably right. But I just I just see a, a slow rising tide for Giannis. And that, the Bucks are only going to get better and better as the season goes on as well. So we'll see. So AC, the Hawks as currently like in the standings, they're 11th. Last year, they've reached the Eastern Conference Finals. Do you think in the next half of the season in this upcoming year, the Hawks can at least get themselves into a playing game, if not one of the top six seeds in the East? Yeah, it's a really good question, Eric. And I, I think one of these upcoming days, we need to do a real Hawks deep dive because this is a team that I, you could make a real argument has been the single most disappointing team in the entire NBA. As you said, to go from a conference finalist to even looking outside of the playing game as things stand today. I don't think anyone would have predicted that happening. And and the crazy thing is, you know, Trey Young started this season kind of off. I think he had to adjust to the rule changes and, and both because they've now softened those rule changes apparently. And also because he's just adapted because he's a great player. He's putting up huge numbers, but you know, they're just outscoring teams by 0.4 points per game. That's better than some of the teams ahead of them. So they've been a bit unlucky to have some of the losses they've had. But, you know, I, I still believe in the talent of this roster. I don't think there's really almost any other team in the NBA, or very few, I should say, that have that many good quality NBA players on the same roster, particularly offensively. And so many good young players, too, that I, I expected a lot more from them. Maybe haven't taken that next step. If they just start fighting their games a little bit, I, I, I anticipate a run here. Because you think about it, right? This is a team that you mentioned earlier in the pod, Cam Reddish has come out of nowhere. And so they have him now, someone they can rely upon. They have Trey. They have John Collins. They've got Bogdanovich. They've got Kevin Herter. They have just like this variety of guys who can step up on any given night. And they are an elite offense. They're the second best offense in the NBA, only behind the Jazz. They're scoring 113 points per 100 possessions, which is absolutely elite. They just need to shore up their defense just enough. They've also been extremely unlucky in terms of teams making a lot of contested shots against them. So if you actually dive into the numbers, it seems like they've had a lot of poor shooting luck against them. And conversely, offensively, there's some stats that seem to suggest that they could get even better because they've been a bit unlucky on their own open shot making. So... I think that they're well-placed to make a run. And just given the talent on the roster and the fact that they have a legitimate superstar in Trey Young, I, I expect them to. Maybe getting up as high as six is hard to imagine, but certainly somewhere in the play-in game. And then I would not pick against them to win one or even two play-in games and, and qualify for the playoffs. They're, as we speak, two games out of the seventh seed in the East. I can definitely see. and in, in fact, I expect them if we can get a reasonably healthy team without COVID just demolishing their second half, them at least being the seventh seed in, in the playing game. And I expect if they get into a playing game, they'll be in the playoffs. So I'm not really that worried about their place. I mean, I, I just don't see how a, a team with 
a young point guard that's averaging a 27 and nine as we speak. If he keeps that up and they're reasonably healthy with the ascendancy of Cam Reddish, as we spoke about earlier, I don't see them staying in the 11th seed for long. I will say this, AC, and this is the hater in me. And, you know, if you got hate in your heart, let it out. (laughs) During the playoffs this previous season, I think some of us pointed out that if the East was a healthy East without one of the most, like, extensive amount of injuries we had ever seen in a playoffs. Like, remember, we spoke about this. Like, it was... It was an anomaly of a playoffs, right? 100%. Yeah, so we expected if everyone was healthy that the Hawks probably wouldn't have been in the Eastern Conference Finals. Now, that's not taking away anything that they accomplished because they still made it there. You can only beat your competition that's put in front of you, right? But I'm just saying now they're the 11th seed and they looking a little funny in the sunlight. What you think? Yeah, I agree. There's some truth to what you're saying, Eric. They definitely beat up on banged up competition, maybe competition that should have been there in the first place, like by Knicks. Even in the conference finals, yeah, they made a series out of it, but don't forget that Giannis missed a good part of that series. So, yeah, you're right. They had a good run like that with some luck, but I still believe in their talent. I still believe in their overall roster construction, and I still believe in their offense. When you have an offense that's that good, you only need to be but so good defensively. And I think they can get to a, a competent enough level that they can at least be passable on that end and then just win games by virtue of their offense. So I, I feel pretty confident in that they will make the playoffs. And they still have a pretty damn good coach in Nate McMillan. So they have a For lot sure. of things in their favor. So I would be surprised if when the playoff starts that they're not part of it. Yeah, this is an aside, but... Did any team screw up more in recent years than the Pacers getting rid of Nate McMillan? Because if you think about it, they had kind of a good competitive squad with Nate McMillan. They get rid of him for the disastrous year they had with Nate Bjorkern. And then it was like so much drama within the organization and not, they completely kind of derailed them. And then Nate McMillan goes to Atlanta as their assistant. And then everyone knew that he was really there as the obvious replacement for Lloyd Pierce. And the Hawks kind of rose from that. And like a hawk rising like a phoenix, <laughs> they uh, emerged as as sort of the contender. I don't want to say contender, but the exciting young team as we saw last year. And, and hopefully they can replicate that this year. Oh, yeah, the Pacers. <laughs> that, was a, that was a stupid move. But I get where they were coming from. They thought they had like a definitive ceiling with Nate McMillan as the coach, even though... You know, he's a good coach, but they swung and they missed. And now we're at Rick Carlisle. So we'll see if he can resist his urge to berate the little guys and they could become a contending team. (laughs) We'll see. Track record says probably not, but we'll see. Yep. (laughs) So, so AC, I have one last question before we go. I like to end this on a, a lighter note. Okay. All right. So earlier today, we had a a kerfuffle of sorts. <laughs> I know where you go with this. I know where you go with this. <laughs> between uh, Carl Anthony Towns and some of his competitors, because apparently, unsolicited, he mentioned that 
Russell Westbrook, a guy who's like universally loved by his peers, he mentioned that Russ was a bit of a, a selfish player, a stat chaser of sorts. And Draymond Green is someone who came out and called Cat out for the fact that he has seen Cat in games where his team is getting blown out, still on the court, chasing stats. And Joel Embiid called him a pussy cat. (laughs) (laughs) So, AC, I wonder, before the start of the postseason, in this upcoming new year, how many times do you expect opposing players, whether when we're listening to a game and we accidentally hear a player, as I've heard Jimmy Butler a few times at this point, call Cat a pussy cat, or going to the media as Joel Embiid or, or Twitter or something that's a public platform making the point that Cat is a little bit uh, on the soft side. What's your over-under, AC? <laughs> Wow. <laughs> I mean, the entire thing has been a high entertainment and I guess for everyone except for poor cat. But as as you like to say, Eric, when you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. And here he decided to take a shot at a guy who, listen, we all know he's flawed. And I don't think that it's completely unfair to criticize Westbrook at times, but this seemed like kind of uncalled for from a peer in the NBA. It wasn't like he was even playing the Lakers or there was really no reason at all to talk about Westbrook in this way. And say what you want about Russell Westbrook, but he's one of the the 75 greatest players ever. He was named on that list and he deserves that honor. He's a former MVP in this league. He's done things statistically. You can call him a stat patter, but he might be one of the greatest stat patters ever. I mean, he's done things from averaging triple double over the course of multiple seasons that, you know, Cat can't dream of. And, and let's be very clear. I'm a Cat guy. He's from my hometown. He's younger than me, but I remember even when I was like in high school and would come back after college, I would always hear about Cat, you know, in, in town. He was kind of, he came from where I'm from. So like, you know, I, I play ball to this day at St. Joe's High School, which is exactly where he played and, and him and Andrew Bynum and, and Jay Williams and others. So I have a lot of love for Cat. And, and I actually think he's even having an incredible season. But for whatever reason, by by putting himself out there like this, it seems that he just can't help himself but to draw the ire of fellow NBA players. Joel Embiid has called him out on more than one occasion for never making the playoffs. And by the way, he implied in his little rant about Cat today, which which was kind of funny because it's not like anybody asked Joel Embiid about it. He kind of gave his unsolicited opinion just like Cat did. He mentioned that he knows something about Cat that he won't say publicly. And I, I was a little bit confused about that. But Eric, do you have any idea what the hell he's talking about there? Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm fairly certain. I, <laughs> I feel like I feel like I'm TMZ right now. So word on the street in the NBA is that uh Jimmy Butler, former teammate of both Cat and Joel Embiid, mm-hmm. had a bit of a dalliance with one of Cat's ex-girlfriends. And when Cat found out, Jimmy Butler basically told him, and what are you going to do about it? And, you know, to a man to a man, Cat just, he just ate it. And, you know, kept it moving because he didn't want those type of problems with Jimmy. So wow. I'm, fairly, <laughs> I'm fairly certain <laughs> that's what he's referencing, which is just like, come on, man. Like, you don't have to do homie like this. You don't have to put him on a summer jam screen 
for everyone to see. And like, naturally, people are going to ask, what are you talking about, Joel? And, and you know, it's just going to come out and it's just going to be bad. But shit, I'm here for it. So, Eric, I got a little bit of scientific research here to answer your question about what the over-under should be and the amount of times that somebody's going to refer to cat as pussy. And I've done this by very logically scientific method and everything. Just looking at the schedule and seeing how many times he plays Russell Westbrook and Joel Embiid the rest of the time. So we got this Sunday at Los Angeles. Then we have Friday, February 25th versus Philadelphia. And then we have Wednesday, March 16th versus Los Angeles Lakers again. And so I'm going to put that over under Eric at two and a half games. And I will absolutely take the over because there is a 0% chance that when Russell Westbrook dunks the ball or makes a dramatic and one, especially if he scores on cat that he's not going to gesture at him and call him something, maybe pussy or something else. And let's not forget that Joel Embiid, this man has no filter. He loves beefing with people. He will call people out on the court. He'll, call people out to the crowd he'll go on twitter and just murder people with social media so those three nights i feel very confident that poor cat will be on the chopping block and that's not even to add ac if and when he plays jimmy butler it seems like (laughs) butler he terrorizes this guy every time he plays him like they'll have them mic'd up so you can hear kind of what's being said and what's going on in the court. And I've seen multiple games where Jimmy Butler is just saying the most vile shit to Cat. And Cat just kind of like sitting there just taking it. So, I mean, it's definitely going to be an over on your two and a half. I'm for certain. I If I, you know, if I bet it on trivial things, this would be a trivial bet that I would be willing to throw a pretty penny down on. One last thing on this. I I actually really disagree on the substance of Towns' claim that Westbrook is is, is a stat chaser. No doubt there were times in his career that he was trying to get an extra rebound or whatever and an average triple-double. But at this stage of his career, that's not the player that Russell Westbrook is. Remember, this is a guy who really took a backseat willingly to James Harden in Houston, to Bradley Beal in Washington. And this year he's done the same thing to LeBron and to Anthony Davis. If you look this year, when he's on the court with LeBron and AD, his usage rate is in the low 20s. And yeah, it might seem in a game like against Brooklyn that he's trying to chase stats, but I don't think that that's what actually he's doing. I think he's just trying to do more to try to fill the gap, the absence of AD being there. And clearly he does it out of control and maybe he doesn't need to do as much as he thinks he needs to do. But I don't think that he's trying to do anything else besides trying to win games. And, and this is a point that Pete Zayas on Laker Philbroom, one of the best Laker followers there is, constantly makes about Westbrook. Like he's a guy who came from LA but wasn't like a highly touted prospect. This is not a guy who needs to be the star. He, he's a guy who almost walked onto a team and he did it by hard work. His whole motto is sort of why not, right? So that's the way that he plays this game. I don't. I really don't think that he's trying to do these things to to add to his numbers at this point of his career. So I, I just disagree with Kat's statement in the first place. Yeah, I think with Russ, more than anything, 
he can be overly aggressive. I don't know if it's like a stats hunter like Ricky Davis. <laughs> Someone who's yeah, just... exactly. You know, he's out there literally hunting for assists, hunting for rebounds, just to be able to say, hey, look, I had a triple-double. At this <laughs> point, I... You know, well, I think well, it's... Well, you forgot to mention that Ricky Davis intentionally missed, like, threw oh, the ball on his own own hoop and got the ball to try to get a rebound for a triple-double. And, and then proceeded to get almost clotheslined by the opposing team. And then his coach, Paul Silas, immediately just like, get the hell out of the game. <laughs> there wasn't any, really even many seconds left. He was so disgusted with Ricky Davis. So, no, I don't think Russ is that mode of guy. I think... I mean, you earlier hinted at with Russ, he tries to do too much to make up for things that he view as inadequacies for his team. And a lot of time, I think that manifests itself seeming as if he's trying to do everything, which for the uninitiated would look like he's stat padding. And here's the other thing, right? I think we as a basketball conscience... And, you know, the way the media covers it have devalued triple doubles with good reason. It's an overrated thing to do. But there's this idea out there that Westbrook has triple doubles at the expense of winning. In actuality, he has over a 70% win rate in games that he has a triple double in. So it has actually translated to wins in the past. Usually you don't get a lot of stats without doing a lot of good. That doesn't mean it's always the case, of course. Like he could have a very inefficient triple-double, like the way that he has, you know, an off night sometimes. But those are more flaws of his shooting than him trying to get rebounds. And, and of course, sometimes he'll get a rebound at the expense of closing out to a shoot or something like that. Those are bad parts of his game. But oftentimes, his good physical games actually do correspond to winning basketball. Yeah, most players, it does when they have these outsized statistical imprints on the game. Other than Kobe Bryant post-2005 scoring 40 points or more per game, like then his team's <laughs> lost quite a bit. But that's just me being shitty. <laughs> You're going to piss off all the Laker fans. But anyway, we've, I, I think we've had a, a pretty good, I would say I would say a pretty poor Lakers podcast overall here. At least I, I think there's more upside in that team. That's my team to watch out for 2021. We cover a lot of good stuff. I will be keeping track of how many times our guy, Carl Anthony Towns, gets called a pussy. It's, it's a shame that us, we couldn't join us all year long. In our text thread, he's been referring to Cat as P-Cat. So it's been a real... <laughs> he, he does. That's, that's why I started calling him Pussycat because of Oswee. <laughs> It's like it's like Oswee and, and Joel Embiid. They're just, they think the same way. He rooted for his guy. Uh, so I'm excited for all you guys out there. I hope you have a great new year and hopefully we have a 2022 that's COVID free and great basketball and lots of good memories to come. So to all you out there, I wish you all a happy new year and tune in next time to Brown Men Won't Jump. You can always follow us on Instagram, on Facebook or brownmenwontjump.com. And yo guys, if you like it here, if you have anything you want to ask, hey, shoot us an email at brownmenwontjump at gmail.com. You know, give us some feedback. Leave a good review for us or a bad review if you think we're not doing a good job. But come on, we all know it. You love us. You're tuning in. And until next time, guys, peace out. Yes, sir.